following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. This morning, I wanted to continue on what we have been doing over the last four weeks, and that's the discipleship journey. We have uh, in our small groups a whole new video presentation. Where's the DVD series, uh, Lou? You've got you've got it right there. Just uh, so so in in our uh, small groups. Um, we are doing the discipleship journey, the seven core values of a disciple. We've got a booklet printed on the discipleship journey. And what we're trying to do is to, to just input this, this wonderful teaching into your spirit so that you get to understand what a disciple is. Because I feel that one of my responsibilities as a pastor is just to help you become disciples of Jesus. And, and then my goal is not only to help you become disciples of Jesus, but to help you make disciples of others. So that when you get called into the office one day, and let me tell you, it will happen. Well, if, if you believe in Jesus, you're going to get to heaven. How many of you are excited about that? How, how many of you believe in Jesus? You do? Well, you're going to get to heaven because of your faith in Christ. And it's in faith in Christ alone that will get you to heaven. But your rewards in heaven will be based on what you do for him. So rewards are not based on faith. They're they're based on what you do. And uh, one of the key things that God has asked us to do is to make disciples of others. And so one of the visions that I got was the vision of one day being called into the office. And uh, Jesus saying, hey, take a seat, John. And I'm in the office. And he says, hey, John. Uh, how did you go on that last thing that I told you to do? Uh, can you remind me, Jesus, what was the last thing you told me to do? You know that last thing I told you to do about going into all the world and making disciples? Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Matthew 28, Mark 16. Yeah, how did you go with that? How did you go with that? I don't want you to be ashamed on that day. I don't want you to hang your head and say, well, I didn't do too good. I just got here by the skin of my teeth, Jesus. I want you to say, Lord, let me tell you about this person. Let me tell you about that person. Let me tell you about this person and that person. Because our calling as Christians is not just our salvation, but it's to help others on their journey so that they can maximize their life and become all that God wants them to become. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that what you want? Okay, so, so here it is. The seven core values of a disciple is, number one, a disciple loves God. Number two, a disciple loves people. Number three, a disciple loves the godly lifestyle. They just The whole behavior is Christ-like. You know, that's one of the biggest complaints that non-Christians have about Christians. It's not your Jesus that we have difficulties with. It's your Christians. Too many of them are so unlike your Jesus. That was what Mahatma Gandhi said to a missionary called Stanley. That's what he said to him. That's my difficulty. It's not your Jesus. It's with your Christians. They are so unlike your Jesus. And we want to change that because Christianity is about not only your faith, but your behavior. And your faith has to impede and change your behavior. So your behavior becomes like Jesus. And how beautiful is that when your behavior is so Christ-like? When you're like Jesus, 
in the way you do life and the way you respond to life. Number four, the fourth core value of a disciple is that a disciple loves sharing Jesus. There's something about talking to people about what you love that automatically gets a conversation going. So if you want to have a great conversation with David Helvagian today, just ask him, how's your baby girl? And then just close your mouth because he will go on for the next half hour of how cute she is, how beautiful she is. What a del- Is that right, David, or what? Uh, because, because people love talking about what they love. If you want to have a great conversation with Anne, talk to her about cruising. Because Anne is now a cruise junkie. She loves cruising. She just loves... Matter of fact, I couldn't get her off the ship. We docked a couple of times and she says, I'm not getting off the ship. And I said, why not? She says, I love the ship. And I said, but we're in Dubrovnik in, 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 in Croatia. There are places to go, people to see. It's exciting out there. Come on. She says, no, I just want to relax and sit by the pools and you go. Okay. So I went for a three and a half hour walk and I walked and I saw and I conquered and I did all sorts of things and, and Anne just wanted to just relax on the ship. So you want to have a great conversation with Anne, talk to her about cruising. How many of you discovered that that if, if, if you want to have a conversation with someone, talk to them about what they love. And they will always be involved in conversation when you talk to people about what they love because people love talking about what they love. I can see Sergio and Claire there. Welcome back. Huh? <laughs> Honeymoon is back. I'm sure talk to Claire about... Hey, what's it like being married? And she'll talk to you about how wonderful Sergio is and how romantic he is. And uh, Come on, is that true or not? And vice versa. That's right. I'll tell her what to talk about right now. <laughs> it's great. See, see, it's just a wonderful thing that, that you get people to talk about what they love. Let me ask you a question. What happens if you never talk about Jesus? What happens if you have friends and they don't even know that you're a Christian? Do you know what that says to me? That says to me, maybe your love for Jesus isn't as passionate as it ought to be. Because you will automatically talk about what you love. It's just the way that we are made up. And so a disciple has to love Jesus first, and once that love for Jesus happens, then you will start talking about it. So today, this is not a guilt trip about you must, you must, you must, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. All I'm saying is fall in love with Jesus afresh. If you're not talking about him, the issue is not about you gotta and you must. The issue is to be, maybe you've just lost your first love and need to get back into your first love. Because when you're in love, you will talk about it. I, I, I remember when, when Anne and I were courting and you know, I was caught up in the whole fresh love, the novelty of love. After 33 years, let me tell you, the love is a lot deeper. The novelty's certainly worn off, but the love certainly hasn't. And I'm passionately in love with Anne. 
Um, but I, I would still do the crazy things that I did back then. I, I remember we, we were locked in traffic. And she says, how much do you love me? And I said, just, just unbelievably. And she says, prove it. So I wound the windows of the car down. And I started shouting it out to all the cars around, I love Ed Margaret. And I'm shouting it at the top. And she's saying, shut up, I love believe you just just settle down settle down you fanatic and, and and i wasn't embarrassed what was what was that i was just declaring my love come on guys i know i'm making it hard for you but someone's got to set the standard come on come on ladies if you're going to applaud somewhere say hey the godfather's back and uh, you know the thing is is that you will talk about what you love you will talk about what you love. Let me share with you a scripture about someone talking about what they love in John chapter 4. I love this passage of scripture. It's the woman at the well. And, and this woman had issues. She had insecurity issues. She had marriage issues. She had, and you know, the thing is this, that God doesn't mind you having issues. Whatever you think, don't, don't ever think that, that I've got to get myself right before I get to God. No, you come to God the way you are and Amen. he'll get you right. I really, I really believe that one of the biggest deceptions of the enemy is that you've got to get, your right, get yourself right first before you go to God. And the fact is, you can't get yourself right. God will get you right. But go to him the way that you are. And so this woman has this encounter with Jesus at the well in Samaria. You know the story quite well. And Jesus goes through a whole life story. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't give her a hard time. He is just taking her on a journey of discovery. And the discovery is that there's a better way to do life than the way she was doing it. And the better way is the God way. Can I just say the better way is the God way? Can I say it one more time? The better way is the God way. If you haven't got it, let me just say it one more time. The better way is the God way. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but its end is destruction. But I'm telling you, you do it the God's way and it will always be the better way. But, you know, most people don't know that. Most people think the way they're doing it is the best way. And so here's this encounter that Jesus has with this woman in John chapter 4. And she's thinking that what she's doing is a good way. But in the back of her mind, she knows that, hey, she's messed things up. She knows that, man, she's got relationship issues. She's got, you know, even the person that she's living with is not a husband. She needs the comfort. She needs the affirmation. She needs to be loved. And she's looking in the wrong places. But then she finds Jesus. You know, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he's not out to rip you off. He's not out to take. He's out to give. And so he just keeps pouring into her life goodness. He pours into her life grace. He pours into her life mercy. He starts opening her up like a book and starts declaring to her what I want to give you when you drink from this water that I'm going to give you. You'll never thirst again. She's saying, what, what water is this? And she's thinking physical water when Jesus was talking spiritual water. And he's, and he's opening up to her the grand possibilities of divine relationship. The grand possibilities of divine purpose. The divine possibilities of intimacy with your creator. And her heart melted. 
Her heart melted. And so now, now this whole conversation happened while the disciples were in town getting some food. Jesus was left by the side of the well and they're, they're having this chat, these, this woman and this man having this chat, which was just so foreign because number one, Jews didn't speak to Samaritans. And number two, Jewish men didn't speak to Jewish women, let alone Samaritan women. The whole thing was foreign. So when the disciples came back and they saw Jesus talking to this woman, their attitude was, what are you doing talking to this woman? And as soon as, and as, soon as the, the woman saw the disciples coming back, she just takes off. And the Bible says here in chapter um, 4, verse 27, at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water pot, went away. Just her leaving her water pot showed how emotional she'd become with this whole conversation. She'd come to the well to get water. But now she was so engrossed in what happened with Jesus, she left the water pot behind and her focus was to go back home. And then the Bible says that when she went into the city, she said to the men of the city, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Could this be the Christ? Something inside of her was so moved by what Jesus had said Something inside of her was so touched by the conversation she had with Jesus that she went and found whoever she could find and said, come with me to find this man that told me everything in my life. You've got to meet this man because I think he's the Christ. This could possibly be the Christ. And, and then in verse 30, if you read on it, it says, verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I ever did. Wow. He said, well, what, what, what's the point? That, 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 that you're bringing. Here, here's the point. Point number one. Get hold of this. God lovers become God bringers. How many God lovers have we got here? I love the fact that you're a God lover. But please don't stop there. That's the beginning point. God lovers need to become God bringers. And let me tell you, please don't be a God bringer unless you're first a God lover. Because... If you're a God hater, then you'll communicate whatever. It's, it's, like, it's, it's like, you know, the fact is that there is a hell, there is a heaven. But we don't want people to be just focused in on the hate of God and, and the anger of God and the judgment of God, even though that's there. And I'm not denying that for one second. But you know what? The message becomes so much purer when it flows out of a love for God rather than a fear of God or a fear of hell or a fear of punishment or a fear of judgment. And, and it all comes out of all the negatives that are there. And I'm not denying the fact that they're there, but the message becomes so much purer when they're flowing out of this channel of, I just want to tell you about God because I love him and he's done so much for me and what he's done for me, he can do for you. And he's touched me. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the one that we've been waiting for? Could this be the one who has the answers to all of the questions that we're asking in life? Could this be the one? Come with me to discover him. God lovers become God bringers. That's what I want you to be. I want you to be a God bringer because you're a God lover. 
I want you to just to grab hold of that thought. God bringers and God lovers and God lovers becoming God bringers. And loving God creates something inside of us that says we want to bring people to God. Because at the end of the day, can I tell you that we can spend heaps of money on television, which we do. We can spend heaps of money on evangelism, which we do. But the greatest response that we have in churches around the world is God lovers becoming God bringers. God lovers bringing their friends. God lovers sharing Jesus with others. God lovers saying, come with me. Could this be the Christ? Come with me and I'll show you what I've discovered. Come with me. What an incredible thing it is. Can I share with you this morning, just to make the God bringing so much easier for you, the three factors that are involved in salvation. I want to give you a formula this morning, and the formula is simply this. S equals M plus C plus D. S standing for salvation. There are three factors involved in salvation. Who's with me in this? Do you want want to hear what this is? The three factors involved in this. Say, come on, Pastor John, give it to me. Come on. I'm ready for this. Okay. S equals M plus C plus D. S is salvation. There are three factors involved in salvation. We've got to understand the three factors. The first factor is the message. M stands for the message. The message is the gospel. The message is the story of Jesus. The message is simply this. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an incredible message that is. It's the most beautiful message that exists in the world. It's the message of hope. It's the message of love. It's the message of God's love for mankind that he sent Jesus. See, the message is simply this, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that sin offends God. Again, you know, this is a concept that a lot of Australians don't have really fixed in their mind because most Australians think that they're good people. But the Bible tells us that sin has offended God and that God is a holy God. What holy means is perfect. And sin is imperfection and it's offended God. And so what we think is this, and this is a basic humanistic philosophy, is that the only way that you can overcome evil by doing good. And so at the end of the day, what will happen is that you'll be weighed in the balances. If you've done more good than bad, you'll be right, Jack. And that's the basis of every single one of the world's religions. Every single one of the world's religions base their whole thought of salvation based on you being a good person. And so if you're a good person and you've done more good than bad, you'll be right. But the problem with God is this. You say there's a problem with God? Well, we consider it a problem. God doesn't consider it a problem. And that is this, that no matter how much good you do, you can't counteract one good one bad thing. This is God's law. No matter how much good you do, you can't counteract one bad thing. It's only God who has the power to counteract one bad thing that you've done. So have you ever told a lie? Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Have you ever done anything wrong? Is there anybody here that's never done anything wrong? Please lift up your hand. And if you do, I'll put you on the platform and we'll worship you. 
Nobody's putting up their hand. Because we've all done something wrong. So this is God's law. The only way that that wrong can be forgiven is through death. And it's your death. That's the punishment. What? You say, John, this is scaring me. Well, God makes the rules. I don't make them up. God makes them up. How many of you have ever been caught for speeding and thought, no, that, that, that's just a bad, bad rule. I don't like that rule. doesn't matter that you don't like it. It's the rule. But I can do 80 kilometers an hour on this road. It shouldn't be in a problem. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't make up the rules. I've just been to Italy, 130 kilometers an hour. That's the slow lane. That, so surely we can do the same. If they can do it over there, we can do it here. That's the law. He's 110 is maximum. And so if you get booked, you don't have... And it, but, but I don't think it's wrong. It's not what you think that matters. It's what the law says that you'll be judged by. So he's God's. The way God's law is the wages of sin is death. I don't agree with that. Well, you've got the issue. And at the end of the day, it ain't going to matter what you think. It's what God says that matters. So he's God saying the wages of sin is death. But, what? Is there a but? Yes. He's God saying, but you don't have to die for your sins. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a solution. And what's the solution? My son will die for your sins. What? Jesus came into this world to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins. So that you don't have to die, but you can have eternal life. But you know, that's only, that's only part of it. That's not, that's not the fullness of it. What's the fullness of it? Well, see, this is about not just you having your sins forgiven, but you having abundant life now. It's not just about getting to heaven. It's about having heaven on earth now. It's about learning how to do life well. It's about learning to behave like Jesus. It's learning how to operate in the principles of forgiveness, the principles of love, the principles of grace and mercy and doing life well now. So you get a double whammy. What's the double whammy? By accepting Jesus, you get eternal life when you die and abundant life now. What a deal! What a deal! And that's the message. And so, I mean, I could go on and on about the message forever, but that's only part one of the three factors involved in salvation. What's part two? Part two is C. C is for conviction. M plus C plus D equals salvation. M is the message, which is the gospel. C is conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Say, what's the conviction of the Holy Spirit? This is where the Holy Spirit actually opens up people's hearts to receive the gospel. For a lot of people, this message, it goes straight over their heads. How many of you have discovered... Goes straight over the top. Does not compute. It's like, well, that's what you believe. I believe differently. So that's why it's important that we pray. Holy Spirit, 
And so we pray three ways. And I, I encourage people to pray three ways when you're praying for your friends. Say, Holy Spirit, open their ears that they can hear the message. Open their minds that they might understand the message. And open their hearts that they might receive the message. So we pray for their ears, their mind, and their heart. Ears to hear, mind to understand, and heart to receive. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is the one that does that. In John chapter 6, it says, unless the Father draws people, they can't be saved. There's this drawing. There's this conviction. There's this sense of God at work in it all. Now, I don't believe that there is any scenario where it's just coincidence. I believe in divine appointments. I believe that God puts people in various circumstances and various places where the gospel just comes in and there's a drawing and there's a searching and there's this sense of, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for, for, for answers. I'm looking for God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing it is to have conviction. Do you know what? I can remember the conviction upon me when I was a seven-year-old kid just sitting in church and, and, you know, I'm just trying to work out what's going on and, you know, raised in church all my life and learned Bible verses all my life, but just not really knowing full well exactly what salvation was about. And about seven, eight years of age, you know, we used to Every Sunday night, we, we would go to a church and there'd be a gospel message. And then after the gospel message, the organist would get up to play, Just As I Am Without One Plea, That Thy Blood Was Shed For You. How many remember that song, Just As I Am? And, and, and they'd play that and then the pastor would give his appeal. And I would sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit upon my life as a little kid. I would sense the drawing of God calling me, calling me to respond to the gospel. And I love that conviction. And you know what? Even now, when you do something wrong, there's the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, what you're doing is wrong. Get back onto the right way. It's a wonderful thing to have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I feel sad for people that are not drawn. I feel sad for people that don't feel anything. I feel sad for people that are just just like stone to the things of God. But I don't believe that's you because you're here today. And you're here today because the Holy Spirit has drawn you. And if you're watching this program on television, you would have already flicked this channel over to watch something else if it wasn't for the work of the Holy Spirit causing you to listen to this program right now. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And then the third part of the equation, M is for the message, C is for the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and D is for the individual decision. You've got to make a decision, a decision, a decision has to be made. God has given you this incredible gift called the gift of free will. What an incredible gift that is. You're not a robot. You're not programmed where you can't make decisions. No, no, God's given you free will. You can either choose to follow or choose not to follow. You can either choose to obey or choose to disobey. 
You can either choose to be repentant or choose not to be repentant. It's your choice. So let's never remove from people the power to make decisions. But can I, just, can I just say something here, which, which is really why I've said all of this. Your responsibility is only one third of the equation, not the full equation. So what happens with a lot of people is that they take it upon themselves to say, well, that's it. It's, it's all upon me to get the person saved. No, no, no. All your responsibility is, is to declare the message. That's one third of the equation. The other third is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And let's not leave out the third of the decision the individual makes. He said, but, but, but if the person doesn't respond, it's my fault. No, it's not. That's a lie of the devil. Because, because listen, let me tell you, the Great Commission is not to go into all the world and save people. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The Great Commission is share the message. Share the message. Share the message. Then it's up to the individual whether they respond or not. But every time you share the message, you have been successful in fulfilling your responsibility as a Christian. Every time you share the message, you've been successful. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, every time you share the message, you are successful. You are successful. Can I just say to you that there is a chain of grace? There's a choir of grace. I can see that. And I love the choir of grace. But let's talk about the chain of grace. The chain of grace. Everybody say the chain of grace. Because your salvation, and you can come up, David, if you like. You can come up and start playing for me. The chain of grace is something so beautiful. And the chain of grace, if you can picture a chain, there are many links in that chain. And I've been involved in being a link in the chain and being the end of the chain. And we we were just at Venice Airport just waiting to board our flight to come back to Australia. And uh, we were filled with joy at Venice Airport, number one, when we got to the counter. They said, oh, listen, the plane's overbooked, and so uh, we've decided to upgrade you to business class. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. So um, I said, oh, really? Really? So, I mean, we were overjoyed and, you know, we just say, oh, okay, but we're waiting. And so in waiting, we start talking to people. And so here's this lady. We were talking to her kids first. Really nice. We're talking kids. We're, one was 26, the other was 22. And uh, there's our mum sitting behind you. And so I turned around and I talked to her. I started talking to her. They're Mexicans. And the whole family is a family of lawyers. And so... So she says, well, what do you do? And I said, um, I'm, I'm a pastor. And then she says, she says, what do you mean by pastor? And I says, you know, I just believe in Jesus and I'm sharing about Jesus. And I start sharing with her. 
And then she just starts with all these questions. I'm I'm just one after another, just question after question. What about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And and, uh, and so I'm just answering questions that she's asking. Then I find out that one of her best friends is a pastor in Mexico as well. And, uh, and so I was able to pull out of my pocket one of my tracks. So how good it is to always carry in your pocket a track. And so, uh, so I said, hey, listen, I'd love you to read this. I wrote this, which is just a simple message about what we believe. So a husband took the track while I was still answering the questions. And so he started reading the track while I was answering her questions. And uh, after he finished it, he turns to me and says, this is beautiful. I love this. But you know what? After I finished the con- and we had to go. We, you know, our plane was being called and we had to go. And I turned to her and I said, you know what? It's not this conversation at Venice Airport today was a divine appointment that God set up. And you've got a friend in Mexico that's praying for you. I just know that he is. And there's no, there's no chance, there's no coincidence. It's all part of the, the chain of grace. God's at work drawing people. A little piece of the jigsaw puzzle here, a little piece of the jigsaw puzzle there. But you know what? I didn't get them to pray the sinner's prayer right there on the spot. But you know, after I left, I actually said to her, I said, you know what? This was a divine appointment and this is part of your journey towards God. It was like the Holy Spirit revealed to me that what I had done was not a failure, but an incredible part in that chain of grace leading her to success. Now, what will happen this morning is that I might be the end of the chain for some of you. In a few moments, I'm going to give the appeal and some of you are going to respond to the gospel. I love being at that part of the chain as well. But I'm also, as a pastor, prepared to be right up at this end of the chain of grace. Because I just know that with every single one of you, not many of you responded to the gospel the first time you heard it. Some of you had to hear it time after time after time. It was just every time it was like an axe hitting a tree. It hasn't come down yet, but it's just one step closer, one step closer, one step closer. My mother phoned me up one day and she said, hey, John, do you remember this lady? And I said, yeah, she's finally responded to the gospel. And I said, mom, how long have you been preaching the gospel to this lady? She said, 40 years, 40 years. And so here's my mom at work, this part of the chain, this part of the chain, this part of the chain. Other people got involved in part of the chain. And then finally, the end of the chain came and the grace flowed the chain of grace. Come on, as a disciple, you need to see yourself as part of God's chain of grace, reaching out to people. You're a link in that chain. And if you're not the end of the chain, don't feel disappointed because the chain has got to reach from the throne of heaven to the individual. The Holy Spirit is tugging away and you're part of that chain. You're part of that link. And don't for one minute despise being a link in God's chain of grace. Can I finish this sermon today by by telling you the elevator story? You say the elevator story? The kingdom of heaven is like an elevator. Say, what do you mean? I want you to picture a building site. It's incomplete. But there's one part of the building site that's complete, and that's the park. There's this beautiful park on the building site. That's got green lawns and 
play equipment, trees and flowers, and it's all complete. Then on the other side of the building side are half-finished buildings and there's elevator shafts and there's dirt and there's sand and there's dust and it's incomplete. So you're walking through the building site and you see a little girl playing in a sand pit. But what the little girl doesn't realize is that the sand pit is the bottom of the elevator shaft. And on this particular day, the workmen are actually testing the elevator to see if it goes all the way down to the bottom where the little girl is playing in what she thinks is a sand pit, oblivious to the fact that there's a fully finished park just around the corner. If you're a person of grace and mercy, what would you do? Would you just walk past the little girl and say, well, she might reject my message. She might be offended that I'm telling her that a sand pit is actually going to be her death pit. Say, John, what are you talking about? I'm talking that judgment is coming. The elevator is descending. I don't know when it's going to hit but it's going to hit and there are a lot of people playing in a sand pit that they think is the right place to play but oblivious to the fact that God's created this beautiful park for them this incredible park and there's a gate that leads to the park and over the name of the gate are the words Jesus where Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and God's ordained this incredible place of joy this incredible place of peace this incredible place of protection this incredible place for people to enjoy life now and avoid the distraction of being smashed by judgment and here we are part of this chain of grace Not just warning people of judgment to come, but ushering people into God's parkland of abundant life now. Our message is not just avoid the judgment to come. Our message is enter into abundant life now. Avoid the judgment, but come into abundant life. Avoid the distraction, but come into the blessing that God has got for you now. Let me finish this morning by saying this. If you believe this message to be true, wouldn't it be inhumane of you to not share it? If you really love people, wouldn't you do everything possible in your power to help people avoid the destruction to come so they can enjoy abundant life now? I'm telling you, I heard someone say once to a Christian, says, do you really believe what you're saying? He said, yeah, I do. And the non-Christian said, if I believe this to be true, I would cross a sea of glass to tell the last individual person on this planet the truth if I believed it to be true. And can I just say to you, I'm not here to put judgment or condemnation upon you. I'm just saying, if you're a God lover, you're going to be a God bringer. If you love him, you're going to be talking about him. If you love God and you love people, 
then that connection of loving God and loving people will automatically invoke out of your life this desire to share Jesus. Let's bow heads for a word of prayer. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 